0: Before I start into my lesson, I want to uh give kudos to the young people. See, a lot of... I have had the pleasure, and many others have here too, but... of watching some of you grow over the years. That makes me sound old, but it's... As I tell my kids sometimes, the truth hurts once in a while. And uh, I know that there are struggles and trials to come. But when I see you interact with each other, when I see you interact with the older members of the church, when I hear the young men participate in the service through prayers or speeches or singing or I, I get the feeling that the church has a strong future. Now, so that you don't get too big for your britches and don't become too overconfident. You're not done. I want us to go to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five <clears throat> begins what we fir- commonly refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, it's fairly long. It's several chapters and, but there seems to be smaller, many sermons within the bigger sermon. And there's a section here that I have started thinking of in my own mind. As Jesus's do more speech. And I want to start off talking about that because I think it's important because this is some of the first recorded lesson that we have from Jesus to the public. And so this is this is him getting the initial information out there that he felt was really important at the beginning. If people were going to follow him, they needed to understand this. And he he, he goes into verse 20, starting with verse 20. Well, no, 21, I'm sorry. He says, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. Oh, where did they heard that? Feel free to answer. I'm trying to keep you awake. Huh? The 10th commandment. These, this is in the commandments. The ten top 10 commandments. This is in the old law. You shall not murder. Verse 22. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Jesus says, you've heard it said. You know that you're not supposed to murder. And then he says, but I want you to do more. I want you to go beyond that to the point that you're not even thinking about it. Not that you don't go through with the action, but that concept, that anger, that hatred that would lead you to that is not even a part of who you are. I want you to do more. Look down in verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. Well, where had they heard that? The old law. Yeah. They'd heard this all their lives. You shall not commit adultery. But Jesus says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I say to you, Jesus says, do more. I don't want you to think about it. I don't want you to consider it. I don't want to be that to be part of your interaction with that person. I want you to do more. In verse 31. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, this is a harder one. Where'd they heard that? Yeah. Due to the hardness of their hearts, God allowed Moses to give these instructions. But from the beginning, was not supposed to be that way. Jesus says, you have heard it said, if you're going to divorce your wife, you give her a certificate of divorce. But look at verse 32. But I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. See, they had taken this allowment by God and they ran with it. They were coming up with all kinds of reasons why they didn't have to fulfill their commitment of the marriage vows, the wedding vows. Jesus says, I I want you to do more. I want you to think seriously about this. I want you to understand that this whole thing should not be a part of your thinking. In in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard heard that it was said of those of old... You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. This is getting old, but where did they heard that? The old law. They were supposed to be absolutely dead serious about their promises. But they have found ways around that, right? Human beings tend to do that. They'd found ways around that. And so Jesus says in verse 34, But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, let because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no. No, for whatever is more than this is from the evil one. He says... I don't want anyone to question that when you promise something, you will fulfill that promise. That you will do everything in your power to fulfill that promise. Now, are there times when something gets in the way or something happens and it becomes impossible for us to fulfill a promise? Yes. We live in a physical world and life happens. I'm supposed to be such and such a place at such and such a time. It's two hours away and my car breaks down three blocks away from my house. I'm either not going to make it or I'm going to be late. There's no getting around it. So, yes, there are things that happen. But when we promise something, Jesus says, I don't want you to have to emphasize your promise in any way i often wonder when somebody says to me one of those one of those common promises right uh, i swear in a stack of bibles cross my heart hope to die you know those types of things or even worse i often wonder if i could trust anything they've ever promised me before that and the next time they promise me something if they don't say that can i trust that promise because I'm supposed to be true to my promises. That's what Jesus says. I want you to do more. In verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That sounds kind of harsh, but where did they heard that? That's part of the old law. Yep. If you, if you do something to harm someone, you are supposed to repay them of equal value. Depending on what it was, sometimes more than equal value. An eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But look at verse 39. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slapped you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go with them one mile, go with them too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. An eye for an eye versus not retaliating. See, what's the extension of an eye for an eye? The extension is, I'm not gonna wait for you to get me, I'm gonna get you before you get me. That's the, that's the end extension of that. And, and Jesus says, no, I, I don't want you treating your relationships with people that way. I want you to do more. I want you to be better than them. In verse 43, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Where did they heard love your, in- your neighbor? The old law. Where did they heard hate your enemy? Was that in the old law? Well, not really. I mean, they were supposed to hate the works of the people that were not of them. They hate the idolatry, hate the infidelity, hate all the sinful practices of the people around them. They were never really told, I don't think, to hate the individual. This is something I think that grew out. Of some other ideas. But look what Jesus says. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who, those who curse you. Do good those who spitefully hate, who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Right? That's totally different. I, I don't want you to look at them and you know that they hate you. I don't want you to hate them back. I want you to love them. I want you to care about them. See, Jesus in this section is telling the people, I, I know you know what the law is. They've been taught the law. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, I want you to do more than that. I want you to be better than that. I want you to not... Treat the law, treat the rules as a checklist. I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, I'm done. I want you, he says, to understand why the law is there. I want you to do more. In fact, if we go all the way backwards to verse 20, how he kind of starts this whole section... For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if I've used this example here or not, but I know I've used it other places. So if you've heard it, I'm sorry, but you're going to hear it again. I want you to think of the most righteous, godly person you can think of. If you're like me, you can think of a lot of... Individuals, They might still be alive and they might have already died. I want you to think of that person. And now somebody comes up to you and says, uh, in order for you to reach the kingdom of God, you have to do better than they have done. Because see, that's what Jesus just did. If, if the Jews of this day had been asked, Tell me somebody you think is moral and righteous and godly. They would have pointed to the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those Jewish leaders. And Jesus has just told them, that's not good enough. You need to do more. And it seems like his apostles grabbed a hold of this concept of doing more. Being better than what you think is the limit of your goodness. Doing more. In Acts chapter 2, Peter gives that sermon on the day of Pentecost, tells them to repent and be baptized, every one of them. 3,000 people are baptized. And in chapter 2, verse 41... And those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. They were added to the church by the Lord. Okay? They were added to the church by the Lord. They'd been baptized. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're good, right? They're done. Nope. In verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This adding keeps going. It keeps getting bigger. But then look what Paul says over in Romans chapter 12. This is written to people who have been baptized, who have been added to the church by the Lord. Just like happened back there in Acts chapter 2. And in Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 4, For as we have many members, that's those that were added to the church, we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. You see that? It's not good enough to just belong. It's not good enough just to have something you can use. He says, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligent he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Yes, prophesying and teaching, very public uh, parts of the, the congregation, very prominent, very public parts of edifying and teaching the congregation, the church, are there. But notice what else is there? Ministering, as just serving. I won't ask for a show of hands, but we've all been served plenty this weekend, haven't we? Physically, spiritually, emotionally, we've been served. Exhorting, that's the encouraging, as someone brought out earlier. I've been encouraged. I've been encouraged by the things people have said from up here, but I've been encouraged just talking with people, visiting with them, singing together. Giving. Leading. Showing mercy. These are, these aren't all the gifts. This is, this isn't a complete list. But all of these gifts, he says, are important. And they're important enough that we're supposed to use them. We're supposed to do more. We're not supposed to just identify the gift we have, we're supposed to use it. Use it in every way possible. In Romans chapter 12, in verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, We're supposed to do more than just be fair. We're supposed to be kind. Even to somebody that doesn't think like me. Even to somebody that doesn't like the way I think. Even to somebody that completely dis- disagrees with my whole outlook on life as a, as a general rule. As much as is possible with me. I'm supposed to live peaceably with them. I'm supposed to be kind. Do more than be fair. Be kind. In 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> this passage was brought up earlier by, by John. And uh, I, I agree. I think... I think it potentially is speaking specifically about the individual that was living in a sinful relationship and, and he apparently had repented. But even if it's not specifically about that, there was a lot of things in the book of First Corinthians that he wrote them about that they needed to change. And look at what he has to say, starting in verse 5. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me but all of you, to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him, For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now, to whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. See, uh, when somebody has sinned, And especially if the church has taken steps to try to help them find the way back to repentance and to God, which was talked about earlier. When that works, when that person repents of their sin, when they come back to the church, Paul tells us that upon repentance, forgiveness is necessary. And not just forgiveness, but upon forgiveness, love is urgent. It is important. Because if that love is not there, not just in word, but in deed, if that love is not there, they can be swallowed up by too much sorrow. Satan can get another foothold. It's up to us to, lo- to show their lo- our love for them. So we're supposed to do more than just forgive. We're supposed to move on. We're supposed to move on. In James chapter 2, <clears throat> James chapter 2, starting with verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not do, you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? See, James says we're supposed to do more than care. The individual in this scenario cares that that person is in need of something. They recognize it. They know it. They're sorry they're in need for it. They feel bad for them. Hope everything works out for you and they move on. And we can't fix everybody's problems. And we're not expected to fix everybody's problems. Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. (laughs) But James says, if we can help, we're supposed to help. We're supposed to do more than just care about their situation. We're supposed to try and do something about it if we can. Going on in verse 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Do you believe that there's a God? Good job. That doesn't make you any better than the devils. Satan does more than believe there's a God. He knows there's a God. He's a hundred percent confident that God exists. He's not going to be saved. The Bible tells us that. We have to do more than believe. We have to practice. We have to put that faith into practice. Now, all this, we could, we could look at more passages, but all of these are times where Jesus and his Apostles and the writers of the New Testament are telling us, you know what to do. I want you to do more. Whatever we're doing, we should be trying to do even more. Whatever, However we're using our talent, we should be trying to do more. If there's a a, a talent that we don't particularly have a strength in, we should be trying to do more to develop that. See, a a follower of Jesus has to always be trying to do more. It's not enough just to do enough. We have to be trying to do more. I'm going to I'm going to bring up a passage that was brought up before. I was grateful that it was brought up. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Because I think it's a an extremely important passage for us to consider. So I'm going to, I know it was already discussed and I agree with everything that was said. I'm not trying to correct anything, but I just want to emphasize it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. We dare not class ourselves. I was curious. Uh, I don't speak Greek, so I have to look in a strong concordance to find it out. And I'm not intending to parse words, but sometimes the Greek definition of a word can add meaning and understanding. And it did for me in this passage. Class ourselves, that concept is from a Greek word that means to rank. To rank. Now, I like sports. So, right, we've got the football rankings that are out right now. Got number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. And that's somebody's opinion on who's better than who. What Paul is telling us is we can't look around our Christian brethren and think of a ranking system. Where do I fall? Am I in the top 25? I'm probably doing okay then, right? Mind the bottom 25? Ooh, I better, I better do some other stuff because I gotta get ahead of so and so. No. That concept of ranking ourselves is not wise. You know why it's not wise? Because if I attempt to compare myself to someone and decide Am I better off or worse off than they are? Am I a better Christian or a worse Christian than they are? Am I, is God more pleased with me than they are with them? There's two things that are true. At the same time, don't let anybody tell you that two things can't both be true. One thing that's true is if I, I, I if I look long enough, I'm going to find somebody that I'm better than in my mind. And it's going to make me feel proud and pretty good. The other thing that's true is that if I search long enough and hard enough, I'm going to find somebody that's doing better. And then i get to got to decide how I'm going to react to that. See, this is why this is not good. It, it's prideful. The only standard I'm supposed to compare myself to is that of Jesus Christ. If I compare myself to him, there's only one thing that's true. I got work to do. That's the only thing that's true. If I compare myself to Jesus, I have to do more. If I compare myself to somebody that I think I'm doing better than, I might have a tendency to not care about doing more. I might be okay with the status quo. But God wants me to compare myself to Jesus so that I can feel the need to do more. Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Do not come... do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, I, I'm I'm supposed to do more so that I can overcome. But that more that I'm supposed to do is more good. I'm supposed to do better than I have in the past. I'm supposed to constantly be thinking about what can I do better, how can I improve. Where can I do more? And then go about trying to make those changes. Here's why that is. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. That sounds good. In me, Jesus says, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. If Jesus has overcome the world and my goal is to be up to his measurement, up to his standard, then I can overcome the world. Not because I'm so great and awesome, but because Jesus is so great and awesome. Because Jesus has already overcome the world. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Born of God is a phrase that's used throughout the New Testament indicating baptized believer. A working, active, baptized believer. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. But our faith can't do it by itself, right? James said we have to have our works. We have to not just believe and have faith. We have to do more. Revelation chapter 17, verse 14. These will make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb will overcome them. Who's the Lamb in that scenario? Jesus. Jesus will overcome the opposition forces to God. But look who's with him. For he is Lord of hosts. Sorry, he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him have three characteristics. They're called, chosen, and faithful. Who is called to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Everyone. God's will is that all men should be saved. God calls all men to repentance. Everyone who has ever lived is called. Who's chosen. Did God have a lottery and pick your number? Or not pick your number? No, that's not what that's indicating. The way I think about it is I I think about a teacher at school. At the beginning of the class, that teacher announces, if you want an A in my class, you have to get a 90%. That teacher just chose who was getting an A. Now, they didn't say Tommy's going to get an A and Jimmy's going to get an A and Billy's going to get a B. That's not what they said. It's up to to Tommy and Billy and the others in the class, to do the requirements. That's who's chosen. Those that choose to follow and do the requirements are those that are chosen by God. So they're called chosen, but there's one more part, right? And faithful. In those letters at the beginning of book of Revelation, God is very emphatic about the faithfulness Is not faithful until the end of the week or the end of the month or till you retire. It's faithful unto death. It's faithful till there is no more that you can do. But up until that time, God wants us to do more. We started out, we started out in the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning of it. And I want to take you, as far as my last scripture, more toward the end. Because Jesus has told them, I, I need you to do more. If you're going to follow me, there's a lot you have to do. I have high expectations. And you need to exceed expectations. You need to do more. And so toward the end, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21... Jesus makes a statement that should haunt all those that are are trying to follow him. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus wants us to do more. The status quo is not enough. Comparing myself to somebody else is not wise. I need to compare myself to Jesus Christ and I need to do more. So as confident as I am in the future of the church and as blessed as I am to see the young people's behavior, Jesus is asking you, demanding of you to do more.